If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. We are now live. You're listening to the Face Bay Network. <laughs> We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, their nuanced conversations, and forward thinking, and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Hey! We're coming in with another episode it is my pleasure i'm sitting in with omar elizabeth and i to interview pk langley pk langley was an ordained minister who was a senior pastor and involved in ministry for a good period of time like what 30 years and you were sharing with us earlier that she's lived in africa and she's traveled extensively throughout the united states and really I have been privileged to uh, speak with you during like too many podcasters and just hearing your your passion um, and everything that you really want to do to help people in their relationship with God is so inspiring. So to kick this off, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And it's a pleasure to meet you, Omar and Elizabeth, for the first time. Yeah, it's great to meet you too, PK. We're really glad to have you on. I love having a lady on and that's <laughs> my, yeah, one thing I really like to do is talk to ladies too about world things and thought provoking topics and world peace. Yes. So. <laughs> I was just thinking about like, um, when we first uh, got into Tanzania and we rented a, a, a house there. Um, it was the rent was comparable to what it was here at the time. And everybody thinks go to Africa, live cheap, you know, but because you're white, yeah. or you're a Westerner, they take advantage of you. And uh, I got in there and the bed had this drawer in it underneath, you know, and I was like, cool, that'll be my little cubby. Right. And uh, the next morning when I got up and I opened the drawer to get my clothes, there were chicken bones in the drawer. And I'm like, oh, what the heck is going on here? There's chicken bones in my drawer, you know? And the next night I hear, I wake up to the scritching sound, you know? So we didn't know it, but rats were coming in through the toilet and coming in and, and bringing their, their goodies and their, their chicken, you know, snakes. And they were eating it in the bed at night, you know? So it, it's just like, being a missionary overseas, you go through so many things that you don't talk about. But for some reason, that yep. story was like stuck in my head. And I think that, uh, you know, stories are what inspire us. They're what invigorate us. They're what fascinate us, you know, when we learn other people's stories. And, and you know, I went through a crucible of really... Uh, I, I think a lot of my deconstruction happened when I was in Africa because I got to see the ridiculousness of how religious we get with things 
and how much BS there is. And I got so frustrated that I finally broke down in a meeting one time and I said, aren't you freaking tired of the same patterns, the same three fast songs, three slow songs, and then everybody cries and goes into their corners and speaks in tongues. And, you know, I mean, are you tired of that? Are you tired of that? So, you know, um, for me, that was that was a big deconstruction uh, living in Africa and having to go through uh, just a huge stripping of, of who I was. So when you say you lived in Africa, were, were you a missionary? Is that mm-hmm. what you were up to? How did you get involved or called into that? In the 70s, when the famine was big, and it actually made the news, there were pictures of Ethiopia and the little babies, you know, and they were just really suffering. And I'm sitting there watching that stuff. And my mother's like thinking there's something mentally wrong with me. <laughs> I was like drawn to, to the continent of Africa. And um, uh, when I got involved with the church, I basically served everywhere I could serve. And I was bored with it. And I was like, there's got to be something more to this God. So um, I petitioned my leadership if they would support us to go on the mission field on an open-ended ticket for a year. And they offered to give us a whole $24 or $25 a person, you know, $50,000 mission budget. Your first missionaries to go out and you're like, we'll give you $100 for the four of you to go. (laughs) I mean, just sounds about right. That was that was pretty ridiculous to me. Um, And but yet they had a big ceremony and had us present the Kenyan flag and the Tanzanian flag to the church. And that was a big deal, you know, but they didn't say anything about the fact that they don't want to give us anything. But and I was the, sitting in the there slideshow, they have you, you know, present when you get back so everybody can see all the pictures of all the children and stuff. How long were you, did you go on your, your, I guess, first mission trip? And then it sounds like you've made multiple trips. So, Oh, my goodness. I've filled up about three passports uh, with stamps. I've been going uh, probably for a, a little over a 20-year stretch. Um, I went back and forth to uh, Uganda, Tanzania, and Kenya. And um, I, I went in every open door and I lived on like that $25 a month and mm-hmm. uh, stayed in the villages, used their facilities and got to know uh, a lot of people. And it was, it was really a growing up experience for me. It was interesting when you said the the famine of the 70s is what got your heart going for Africa. My my grandparents were missionaries in Ethiopia during that famine. My mom was growing up in Addis uh, during that time at Addis a boarding Sabiba. school. So, yeah. yeah. So we know. I sponsored a so, kid over there. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Africa's been in my blood, too, as far as missionaries go. Um, but yeah. So, when you say we, is this you and family or you and friends that are have been going and doing or were going and doing? I went with my best friend at the time and her two children who were six and nine years old. And we heard everything about how they'd be stunted when they got back and how they'd be behind the other kids and all this other stuff. And she took the Abeka, I think it was, uh, curriculum with her. And those kids were ahead of the other kids in their school when they got back. I believe it. Yeah. 
Yeah. But, uh, you know, they learned, uh, Patrick, who was six years old, he came in the house one day and he was just distraught, just crying. And I'm like, buddy, what's, what's wrong? And he said, we live in America. I mean, this is a little African American boy, you know, who has just had his world rocked. And he's like, we have everything in America. We have toys. We have Christmas. And these little kids, they don't have nothing. They have nothing, you know. And it changed him. It really mm. did change him. Yeah. Like can. I mean, it's it's a different world. It's a it's a full immersion. I kind of look at it like swimming. You know, you're being impacted financially. Uh, you're being in, impacted physically. Uh, we had to walk like like six, seven miles and we were getting food every single day for whatever meals that we had because we had no refrigeration when we lived in uh, Arusha, Tanzania. Um, so uh, it, it, it's very, very different. But you learn so much and you grow so much. And, and um, I, I saw miracles. I saw signs and wonders. I saw people... Uh, there was a man that died of alcoholism that was a Muslim, and I prayed for him, and uh, he got up. Um, and really? I, yeah, I prayed for a man that uh, was mute from the time he was born, and he spoke, and it caused this huge revival on this mountainside in uh, in Uganda. And you know, I mean, I saw things that blew my mind, and I couldn't explain them. But then the next person I prayed for didn't get healed, and I got so mad at God, I was just pissed right off. I was like, this isn't right, man. You know, I mean, once we get this snowball rolling, it should keep rolling, you know? <laughs> so, so there's definitely yeah. a few things to unpack there, PK. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm really glad that we just jumped right into talking about the whole missionary stuff, because as Elizabeth already mentioned with her, um, you know, both her parents, you know, grew up as missionary kids and, you know, and that's our connection. And then my, my family, my, uh, as a bunch of missionaries. Actually, we have an orphanage in Ghana um, right now called the Father's House. I should say we, my uncle, is the one who started that. I don't really have anything to do with that. But, um, and so, yeah, we've, uh, are well-traveled. We had that whole, our, the pastors and the spiritual leaders of our life would always tell us how we're like, you know, we live by faith. And we really did. You know, we, like, we kind of just jumped into marriage, went straight into Alaska, did the missionary thing up there. And it was always about raising our support and really didn't know where, uh, the our money was going to come from how the bills are going to get paid you know as whereas we're as our family's grown we're having kids about every two years at this point too and just like but it the thing that's really interesting and i want to get into that you mentioned because you mentioned how your trips to africa and your mission trips kind of like were a catalyst to some of your deconstruction but then you also were talking about how you saw signs and wonders so i, I i'm wondering <laughs> signs and wonders so i it makes me makes me wonder because sounds like you believe God's real still and powerful. Um, so let uh, let's get into that a little bit. I, th I think that's kind of like fascinating that like um, you were able to see God work in such a powerful way, but you still ended up wanting to like turn your back on the church. So um, how does that work? Inter interesting way to put it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> turn my back on the church. Right. That's, um, the, and I, you know, I don't feel, I mean, I'm yeah. guilty of the same thing too. Yeah. I'm just, that's just semantics. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, I started seeing patterns and I think that's what really began to shake me is the patterns. Um, because 
I believe that very few people know what it is to be a spirit-led son of God. Very, very few people. And, you know, it took me a long time to see that, to really trust God for every breath, for every meal, for every moment. Very few people experience that type of life relationship, you know, and when you need it, that's when you access it. It's not when you don't need it. So, you know, when we're self-reliant and, and we have everything taken care of, it's very hard to tap into that. So because I was living on $24 a month, and I'll, and I'll give you this, I get into uh, Kenya, thousand members in the church, biggest venue I've ever had, man, I'm excited. I get to preach here, right? And I've got $15 left. I know I've got to get down to Arusha, Tanzania. I've got four people, you know, you know, four people together uh, with me. Um, so four all together, including me. Sorry, want to be clear about that. And I don't know how I'm going to stretch this $15 out. I'm thinking if I go to the pastor and I talk to him, you know, of course, he's going to feel bad for me. He's got a thousand member church. He's going to give me a little money and help me get to Tanzania. You know, that's what I was thinking in my head. So I came and I talked to him and he said, he leaned back on his desk and he said, I think it is better that you fall all in the hands of God than to try to stretch out your last $15. And I went, Oh crap. You know, so, so he's, he's asking <laughs> so, for you to like tithe it and to give it to him then instead of like actually use it on your own. Oh my God. That's the thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Why, why is it that pastors feel so comfortable asking their congregation for money every week, but then tell their congregation to live by faith? Like, how is that? even a thing it's quite an it's it's quite an ironic uh, uh thing there but listen i'm sitting there before service and the offering plate comes by and i took that money now i'm in a foreign country <laughs> you just reached in there and grabbed money out of the offering Are plate you listening to me i'm in a foreign country <laughs> i have no connection with anybody anything you send a fax and nobody's getting it, you know? You can't just pick up the phone and call. This was a long time ago. This was before cell phones, okay? I'm in a foreign country. And I took the money that I had and I said, God, you've got all of me. Listen to me. You got all of me. You got every ounce of me. Here it is. And I threw that fucking money in the offering plate. Can you imagine that moment in your life? Can you imagine just letting everything go and saying, here I am, here I am. That's a I got up and preached the best freaking sermon I had ever preached because it was all by faith, buddy, all by faith. Now I'm flying with no parachute, no parachute. After service, this couple invites us over for lunch. Glory to God, we're gonna eat. Um, so we go over and we're fellowshipping with, now these are Africans, you know, we've got a mentality about Africans, you know, they don't have much. And uh, uh, afterwards we sat and we talked and they said, you know, we love you. We love you. We would like to sow into your ministry. What you are speaking is the truth. You can preach and we want to give to you. And I went, well, hallelujah. Maybe it's like 10 or 20 bucks. We can, you know, use that to get down to <laughs> And he gives us an envelope and it's rude to open a gift in front of other people. So I didn't want to open it. And I went to put it away and he said, no, no, I want you to open it. 
and I opened it, and inside were five $100 U.S. bills. Wow. This crap works. What? <laughs> five, wow. $500, you know? I mean, that that kept us, you know, going for another length of time. In Tanzania, we ran into a man in the uh, uh, office where you send faxes. He was crazy. And I mean certifiably crazy. He was a German scientist. And we were sending faxes and we were trying to do the African thing. Greetings in the name of Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. We're doing well. Blah, 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 blah. And then down here, we were asking for money. Well, guess what? Our church was getting the top part of the fax. And they thought, great, they're doing really good. They didn't get our impassioned plea for help because we were out of money down in uh, Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, you know. So I sat down and uh, I said, I'm not going. Another, another step, God. I'm not. You either fucking do this or I'm not going. I'm done. Is it okay for me to cuss on here? One hundred percent. Yes. Yes. We no, swear good. like say You're good. Okay. Keep going. So that's where I was at. So I sat down and my friend sat down next to me and this guy comes in. He's a real tall guy, blonde hair, blue eyed German guy, you know? And he asks if a fax has come in for him and they say no, which is what we have been getting for three days. Three days. We're living in Dar es Salaam through a drought. Uh, I mean, it was a terrible time. People were drinking out of the same water they put lye in. And, and we're desperate. And I mean desperate. I can't get bottled water. I got to drink the local stuff, you know? Um, so I laughed at him. I laughed at him. I said, well, at least we're not the only ones that aren't getting any news. And he turned around and he stopped and he looked at me. And we spent three days with that man and ended up uh, praying with him, praying for him. And he ended up giving us another amount of finances to get us from Dar es Salaam, get our visas renewed, everything, and get us back to Arusha. Stuff like that happened over and over again while we were out there. And Omar, I hope I didn't get too far off track on that one. Well, I mean, it's it's a nice it's a nice story. Like I, I I like it, and it's I'm listening to you tell these stories. It reminds me of things that I you know encountered and ran to on the field, but it but. I guess I may rephrase my question. So we haven't got to yeah, the deconstruction exactly, um, and so like, but I mean, it's fun. I, mean, I think we haven't had an interview in a long time where you know we're, we're just like telling like cool God stories, and a lot of times you know we're we're, we're breaking things down and stuff. So I'm not going to rush you into that part of it. Because, um, so continue. Yeah. Uh, continue telling your story, but I am fascinated how you've seen so much of this, and I and I'm wanting to see where you get to because. I mean, I've seen a lot too on the mission field, you know, and uh, some of, yeah. some of it, maybe I can now say, well, maybe that was, some of it was emotionalism, you know, and kind of like downplay some of the things, but I mean, especially yeah. like, you know, the whole living by faith thing. I, I mean, I made a joke about it earlier, but like, that's pretty much the way we, we would too. And I mean, all of our bills, our bills were getting paid more back then than they are now, you know, where with both of us working and, and, and making somewhat decent money, you know, it's just kind of like, now it's like, where the fuck is the money going where before we were living yeah. off of like $200 a month and had plenty of money. And I don't understand how that, how that worked. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. I don't either. So there, there is definitely like something to this, I feel like. And I, you know, I'm always trying to figure out my faith 
and I think faith should be kind of fluid or evolving or willing to like kind of change as you listen to different people's stories. I personally still am in the Christian faith and a lot of it's just kind of by choice, but, but it also is because I have a lot of these similar type experiences um, where you kind of put yourself out there and seems like God met you over and over again. You know, it seems like, you know, but so, yeah, so these are all good things, but you saw a pattern. You were talking about how you, that's the thing that made yep. you want yep. to kind of break away from the church of Christianity. So what pattern were you seeing? Okay, let me get to patterns. I will say this first. I think that faith has to be nomadic. You cannot put tent pegs down. You have to always be constantly listening. And if you get to a place where you think you know it all, you're done. You're dead. You know, you have to stay in a fully functioning, fully movable uh, faith. So for me, um, I started seeing patterns in the church. Now, uh, Africa has a, a huge diversity. I mean, it's a massive continent. continent. You can fit three U.S.s in, in the continent of Africa, you know, and a lot of people don't realize how truly big it is, 11 million square miles. Um, and I'm going to all these different churches, but I'm seeing the same exact pattern, you know, uh, three fast songs, three slow songs, break off into prayer, preaching, pray for people all over. You skipped the offering. Um, and I'm going... You, skip, you, know, you skipped offering time. Yeah, I did skip offering time. <laughs> definitely up there. They have to have, yeah, have, to have that pattern in there or they can't pay the bills. Yeah. So. And I also saw some very haughty pastors, very haughty pastors that were so full of themselves and their ego that, you know, oh my goodness. Um, and totally clueless about it as well, you know. Um so I think that that began to break something in me that said, this is not satisfying. This is not fulfilling me. Um, and I, and one of my favorite, uh, verses in the Bible was, you know, just talking, God talking about, you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. And, and, uh, my life has been a passionate pursuit of, of God. And so, my cataclysmic uh, divide came when my father died because everything, and I was a senior pastor at the time, everything that I had learned said that my father went to hell because he wasn't uh, going to church. He wasn't on fire for God, yada, yada. So it put me in a, a massive uh, uh, challenge to my faith. And for 30 days, I was not functional. I was angry at God. I said, if, if the man that I love more than anything else in this world is in hell, you can fuck off and you can fuck off hard. And I meant it. I meant every word of it. I was like, God, I'm done with you. And um, I started realizing that the God of Christianity, the God that the church was representing, and I will say Christianity because that's, that's the religion. It's a religion. Um, walking by faith is not a religion. And, and I think it, we missed it when we read that verse about pure and undefiled religion before God. It was showing the action. It's living that life of love and giving to others. It has nothing to do with rules, regulation, and format. 
So I started questioning everything that I'd been taught and the walls started falling down. The walls started falling down. Yeah. First, I started differentiating between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and realizing that then the New Covenant, we just took the New Testament and we made it another rule book. <laughs> you know, and, and all Jesus said was love God, love others. You got it? That's, that's simple. You can do that, right? <laughs> we went. But that's no, such an awesome foundation to start from, I think, to start a deconstruction is the foundation of seeing God work in reckless ways over and over again. And so you have that as, as like a major foundation. Okay, this is God. And then you're trying to reconcile like all the other things you believe in. You know, sorry about your father. Like you sound like, you know, you had a really close relationship with him. And um, I had a cousin the same way. He's like the only person that wasn't a believer in our family. And it's, and it's like, how do you, how do you like the whole heaven and hell thing is a hard thing, hard for most people that have deconstructed. They've, they've dealt with that in one way or the other. Like that's, that's like a huge one yeah. because a lot of that's a selling point in Christianity is, is like, believe, believe in this faith so you can escape the perils of flames and torture for the rest of your life from, from a loving God. Yeah. And so like, um, I, very, very much, yeah. very much so. So, so to start a deconstruction, with the baseline being faith and that so you've never seems like you've questioned the realness of god that's not something that you've wrestled with but it was the the foundation of christianity and and what they're teaching you there um it was what i was teaching you yeah, know sure, yeah. i mean i was so i was so ingrained and i was good at it i knew the bible back and forward i knew it and i could preach I could preach. I could still preach, but I haven't preached in a long time. That's, that's evident in this conversation that you can <laughs> preach. So I, I want to, but I want to ask a question here. So as, and I, again, it's going to sound very similar to Omar, so I'm going to try to make this truly different, but you, it doesn't sound like you've ever wavered on, on God. It's been, no. it's been the church. So just kind of rephrasing what Omar was asking, just kind of putting it there like, that connection to God because of those experiences you've never had, that's never been a question. I, I had that foundation and this is, this is why I think some people walk away from uh, the church, but they've never had that real relationship. Nobody's ever taught it, modeled it and, and introduced that relationship. Um, and because they don't, then they end up becoming a spiritual eclectic. They end up, um, uh, some people just turn and say, I'm an atheist, you know, screw this, you know. Um, and I, I see a lot of people that end up shipwrecked because they just don't have any kind of a foundation to work from. If they walk away from Christianity, they don't, they don't know what that looks like or how it functions. And because they don't, um, they just throw their hands up or they just, you know, take in a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, you know, um, which I don't think is bad. You know, I mean, I no longer believe in hell. I don't think hell exists. I think that hell was definitely a fear tactic that, you know, the good old Catholics started us along. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm very much about God embracing all of us. Uh, because the truth is, if I stood anybody there and gave them all the information, 
would, would they make a decision to say yes or would they just walk away, you know? I mean, if you're confronted by love, fully love, how can you, you can't walk away from that, man. It's too good. It's too juicy. Well, that's, that's interesting, PK, and you're right. And I would say it's hard once you actually feel like you've had an encounter with a real living God or that creator universe sort of thing. It's, it's hard to ever like deny that no matter what other experiences you have in life. But something you said is also true, especially in the Western church. A lot of people are going every Sunday to a building or maybe now that we're COVID, you know, getting in front of their TV or computer for Zoom, Zoom church, whatever it might be. But they've never yeah. really had that sort of like real encounter. You know, it's always been a formula or a religion or a, a list of do's and don'ts to like be a good person. And so they're all co- constantly trying just to escape the flames of hell, but never really, there's nothing to really say, okay, this is like you said, that real relationship. Um, I mean, there's a lot of churches out there, um, you know, hashtag not my church that, that stress the whole relationship side of things. And a lot of churches that, you know, I, I was luckily enough to be a part of, and maybe that's why I still have a relationship with, what I consider to be God now. Um, so, but so it's not to the fault of the believer or the deconstructing or the de- deconstructed if they've never was introduced to that like real or living God. But the frustrating part, frustrating part for me about that is yeah, we can blame that on the church on the theology and the teachings somewhere we, you know, took a hard left from the, the teachings of Jesus. But if God, if God, if God, you know, if God's real and he was wanting to show his love to everybody and he says that he reveals himself to everybody, shouldn't like, how does, how does that happen? How do, how do we reconcile that religion at all with like what God is doing in our lives? Like, it's Christianity, even though you've seen the destruction, destructing, destruction part side of it, the dangerous side of Christianity, would you still say it's good because it got you to where you are now? Or how, how would you? I think that we have to honor the journey of everyone because had I not had those years, I would not be who I am. Um, and you know, you can look back and, and see the benefit of that. Um, and in mental health, we are taught mindfulness. And at the same time, you can find those exact same tenets in Christianity. You know, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. You know, it's deliberate mindfulness. So there are coping skills that are taught in Christianity that help people. So why should we negate that or or call it bad or say we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater? If that's your journey, you know, beloved, hallelujah, you know, do, do, do you, do you all the way. Um, What happens is, is as we evolve and we, and we grow in our understanding of, of who God, who the creator is, that divine energy, that divine source. And I don't care if you call God Buddha. I don't care if you call God Muhammad. You know, God is not offended if you get the name wrong. You know? What about the gender? Not offended at all. Does he get offended if no, you get yeah. the gender wrong? There you go, Elizabeth. She's just grinning. You know, I, I sense such a, a heart in you, Elizabeth. Um, and I know that you're being quiet. 
but uh, you know, you have that personality that you're passionate about about doing that right thing. You would be that person that would be involved in those social causes and and be right there at the front lines, going, yeah. You know, <laughs> just like I just sense that from your your personality, you know, and and I'm looking forward to to getting to know you. But to to me, that is that's relationship right there. You know, that's the heart of what we should be doing. Yeah, yeah. As a see, I did the missionary thing too. Omar alluded to it a little bit as well, and I did it before we were married. So I did it as a single girl, and then as a married girl. Um, and it that it definitely contributed to my deconstruction, but I wouldn't have said that I wouldn't have said that at the time because I was that passionate, like all in like I remember going to a service once where they were calling out, "Do you believe you would die for Jesus? Would you die for Jesus?" like calling us out to be martyrs essentially, yeah. and I went down to the front and I'm like, "Yes, I'll die for Jesus, and I went back, my dad was at the meeting with us. I'm, dad, I'm going to die for Jesus. And I've never seen my dad start crying so, so hard, so fast in my life. Like, and I don't know if he was crying because he was proud of me or crying for fear of me. <laughs> it was, um, I, my dad's usually very, very stoic, very, uh, not stoic. He's very, um, calm and mellow. So for him to just burst down into tears, this was very uncharacteristic. Uh, but yeah, I, that was, that's always been, me and then once I started traveling and seeing the world like I the poverty the like what you said the little boy did when he came home like that's just that got me I still remember going to Guatemala that was the first place that I went as a missionary kid or as a missionary in teen years <laughs> I guess um and going to the dump site and seeing the little kids digging through the trash and um, the mothers just in tears, uh, watching their children trying to get the trash. Like I, I have it's burned into my memory. I was I was fourteen when I did that. Like wow. you don't forget things like that. That was, and I'm thirty seven now. So do the math. Um, so yeah, I'm passionate. I, I'm passionate about the injustice of that. Like what the heck? And <laughs> yeah, and I'm, so, I'm a socialist. I think Jesus was a socialist. I would very much like. I always said God wouldn't let me win uh, the lottery because I'd give it all away. I I feel like if you really have an understanding of how connected we are, that how can you not share what you have, uh, you know, with yeah. each other? So I, I I find it interesting when you were saying the mindfulness thing about Christianity because that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm at. Like. Um, one of the guys uh, part, uh, on our podcast team that's not here today is Chris. He's moving, so he couldn't make it today. But he's an atheist, and and he and I have had some kind of conversations. He's like, just no, give it up, not, just give Elizabeth. up the idea of God, and you're gonna get he's you're gonna get in trouble for that. You're gonna get in trouble. Oh, agnostic. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Chris. You, he's an agnostic because he doesn't want to claim that there's not a God. That's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry, Chris. Uh, anyway point is he's like just come over here to the dark side and i'm like okay i i get that i understand your logic but do you understand mine <laughs> like because i see that um i see that mindfulness in what i remember of the bible i'll be honest i've not picked up my bible in about five years because i just couldn't they're just i mean i think you don't want to get into my whole history right now but the church trauma is a real thing and it's absolutely. connected to the bible so absolutely. see you later you know and, and the thing is, is we don't need it to function, you know, it's, it's yeah. good to take in information, but it's not, you know, absolutely necessary. I think that, uh, 
uh, we can survive without the Bible and, and humanity will still find the way. Um, See, yeah. you're doing but, so good, you know, PK. And then you said two things. You said Jesus was a socialist, and you said that we can function without the Bible. And I think you know, like the, you, know, you, you you had you had some people on the conservative side probably tracking with you for most of the conversation, and then they were like, "Oh, change the channel." <laughs> and then they just fell off, and that's it. <laughs> Down with PK. Yeah, um, I had, you know, it was it was what about three, what thirty or three hundred. This argument is so old for me that I'm going to forget some of my markers. But, you know, they started calling the Bible the word of God. And, and that's what really uh, became like an ingrained thing. Um, and we could go over the semantics of, of deconstruction. But uh, uh, I think that you guys have probably hashed and rehashed it. Uh, the truth is, is that it's traumatizing because you believe with all of your heart. And my wife was um, an incredible worship leader. And she taught herself how to play piano. She sings beautifully. And I could listen to her forever. But she was so traumatized by what happened to her that she couldn't touch her keyboard, nor could she get rid of it. You know, there. it just sat there and sat there and sat there until she finally let it go. And, and we talked about how, you know, you can come back to it, sweetheart, if you want to. If you don't, it's okay too. Um, but it's time to let it go. And, uh, that's a that's a difficult thing. I think a lot of people get traumatized uh, from the experience. Look at Omar; he's just Omar. A, you're wow. triggering me. It's it's. <laughs> I was triggered by the let it go. I got I got three daughters, so I was just I thought you know, I, was, I was like somebody please break out in song here. <laughs> let it go. Let okay, it go. So, somebody else break out in song here. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I was waiting. You know. I, <laughs> Seth, I love, love, love your your personality, and and I I think that I have come to a place where, to me, being love and and letting other people feel that love and and acceptance and understanding and and just engagement, you know, because we all should be caring about one one another. I mean, that's one of the things that I admired about Jesus. He could encounter anybody, slut, sleazy. Drunk, you know, anger, temper guy, you know, opposition, oppositional defiance disorder. I don't care. You know, I mean, he could touch them and reach out to them and connect with them. And that's what I do every day with mental health. You know, I connect with people that have schizophrenia or are struggling with paranoia, OCD, you name it. And and uh, I think that's that's the beautiful place we, we need to come to with love is where we're sharing and caring with each other and, and recognizing each other's needs. What's, what's the one thing we don't have right now? I, it, that just doesn't seem to be something that's happening very frequently right now in the what world the we're, we're world in. Um, now but I, I've got love. to... <laughs> Sweet love. That's what you mean, right, Seth? Something like that, yes. <laughs> Thank You're, you, uh, a much better singer than me, Elizabeth. So we're going to be beautiful. I just had to show you up, time. Seth. That's all. You, well, you did it well. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about this because due to your work in the ministry, I mean, I know that you're also not straight. Correct? I'm crooked. <laughs> you're like, well, we're, we have some things in common there. And so yeah. I want to talk yeah. about... Did, the, did you realize that when you were on the mission field or did that happen after? Like, how did that <laughs> come into sorry, this? Sorry, the way that put that makes 
Did you realize that you're gay, PK? (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm sorry. That just felt weird the way you worded that. (laughs) And I have long hair and makeup. God help me. Um, well, I, uh, I was catching the part boy, where he said on the mission field too. So it was just like you had like your your first gay experience when you're out serving Jesus on the mission field. <laughs> like here, here, it's like he's like I'm only attracted to African women. That's it. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't even acknowledge that that part of me. Um, not at all. It wasn't until. I fully deconstructed from all of the, the, the mechanics of what I was teaching uh, in religion that I finally, um, Ashley and I were both like hitting the dating field, man. We were like checking out like plenty of fish and, and <laughs> some of those other new apps, you know, and Ashley brings home this guy and I think his name was like Simba. Was it Simba? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and anyway, like, uh, he was from Mongolia, right? So she brings him home, and I mean, we're we're living in the same house with my my son and my daughter in law, and uh, we just rented a big house together. We thought it'd be fun, right? So she brings home this guy, and I I've been like going out on dates, you know, no problem, no big deal, you know. But Ashley brings home this guy, and I looked at him, and I was like, okay, he's kind of handsome. You know, he's got nice hands. You know, he seems polite. And he sits down, and he looks outside, and he goes, those are some nice treases. And I lost my freaking mind. Treases. I went in. Yeah, he said treases. And I said, yeah, those are nice treases out there. And um, I walked into the kitchen, and I'm pacing because I'm so pissed off, and I don't understand why. And I sat there and I was like, Kimberly, what in the world is going on with you? She's your best friend. You should be happy for her. And then all of a sudden this light bulb went on and I went, oh, my God, I'm in love with her. Whoa. That's a big revelation. Yeah. So uh, I didn't tell her because I was terrified, too, because I thought for sure, you know, I was going to send her to hell. Even though I had deconstructed from a lot of stuff, I I was still like scared that that might not be right. So I took like a couple of months, you know, two, three, four, and, you know, I'm singing songs to her and stuff. And I'm all like, I love her. And (laughs) she doesn't even know, you know. And uh, so we moved to Austin uh, and Ashley and I rented a house together. And that's when I finally, you know, said, got up the courage and said, you know, I, I, I tell you everything. You're my best friend. I just want you to know I'm in love with you. And she said, but. I'm not that way. <laughs> so I was like, Jess, what am I going to do? So Aww. it took her another like couple of months of really like delving in and, and questioning her heart and how she believed in things. And when she crossed over, she scared me. <laughs> she did. She intimidated me. She was like, Hey, you know, and, and yeah, it was, it was shocking for me. Um, so, and, and, I just, uh, I had two husbands. I have one son from my first husband, and I tried the married to the pastor thing and uh, was absolutely miserable. And I can honestly tell you, you know, being with my wife and best friend of 22 years, I have never been so fabulously happy and content in my whole life and know that I am okay with the one who created me gay. And that really sets off a lot of people as soon as I say, you know, God made me this way. (laughs) That's like so offensive to some people. 
you know, no, I don't have that's a choice. Really? Really? I chose the public. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, this is just so beautiful. Yeah, it was a very beautiful story. <laughs> I know story. the struggle must be really difficult, but my goodness, such a beautiful story, like in tears over here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We are very, very happy. She is my rock, my solid foundation, you know? I mean, without her, I would be nowhere. Like, I totally am going to Thelma and Louise it if we get in our 80s and she's like, you know, wanting to croak. I mean, we're just driving off a freaking cliff. I, I can't live without her. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> she was my worship leader. <laughs> well, what, what I really want to know, though, after listening to your story, and forgive me for the, but like, like, how are her hands? Because you mentioned when you're describing Simba, yes, like, hands. You, you, like, <laughs> that, like, that was one of the things when you described, I'm like, I've never really heard that described, like, when somebody's like, oh, and his hands were gorgeous. I was like, so, like, you, you, it's, weird. It's you weird. have a hand thing, apparently. <laughs> apparently, I do. I love her hands. She cool. has beautiful hands. Cool. All right. Well, <laughs> well, 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 I need to know because I don't, I don't meet very many like open, like hand affirming people. Like, how are how are my hands on a one, on a one to ten? <laughs> rate 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 on a one rate, rate my hand. I would probably put it at about an eight and a half, okay. nine. Thank you. You have nice hands. Thank you. Yeah. He does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, babe. oh, babe. Anyway, I, I was giving Seth, I was giving Seth a hard time before we started about making it about him. So I'm not gonna let's let's keep going. Let's not make it about me. But no, that was because that was not really a beautiful story too. Like the way like the the whole like having the guts. When, once you've moved, you've now moved into a house in Austin. You know what? What and what's and what's your wife's name? I'm sorry. I don't. I mean, like, I don't know if you can, Ashley. Ashley, you mentioned it. So, um, yeah. And once you moved in with Ashley, and to like be like, okay, now's the time that I'm going to like say something. Like, like that could have like potentially like sucked really bad for the both of you guys. Like, now you just made this commitment to move, and if it like become like this, like, well, no, like like it was a hard it was like a hard no sort of thing like would you just keep being friends and living together and being like well i'm just gonna like even because she's like still dating guys you know how you feel about it now like you i mean would you've been able to live with that she just she just, she just did it because i was doing it you know and then she and she told me she said i was thinking gosh wh whoever i find i hope they don't mind living next to my best friend hmm. So she always Aww. included me in that scenario, you know, and uh, when I was married to my second husband for 10 years, Ashley was there every day, every day, you know, she was always with me. So, um, you know, it's so awesome. Uh, I, you have that. It, yeah, we like I, my sister said to me once, if I could just find in a heterosexual relationship what you guys have, I'll, I'll have hit the jackpot. Um, and that's a, that's an honorable thing. Cause we really do love each other dearly and we don't fight, you know, we went through those early years. We went on the mission field together, you know, and there were times I wanted to choke her, you know, and, and there were times she probably wanted to choke me, you know? Um, but love takes time and it evolves over time. So think about the fact that we had 14 years of a foundation of friendship to put our marriage on. You know, and when we went to Hawaii to get married in Kauai, Ooh, nice. on the way to the beach, there was a, a double rainbow. 
And it was so freaking affirming to both of us. You know, we were just tickled that there was a double rainbow on the way to our wedding, you know. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm honored and, and I value the relationship that we have. And I wish that everybody could have that. But people get hung up on the sexual aspect of being gay. All they can think about is the sex. Well, if the sex turns you off, you're heterosexual. Good for you. You know, hey. You've, you've had a life epiphany. Go with that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm straight. <laughs> that's just weird. I mean, it makes sense, but when you say it, that's what my mind is like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, isn't it, exactly. isn't it so exactly. weird that it's called straight? You know, like, and like that was like the first question, like, you know, you, you, know, like you said you made that joke, you know, no, I'm crooked, but I mean, even in that, it implies that like being heterosexual is like, the way to go, you know, because it's like straight, like what, what the fuck? So anyway, well, I had to, I had to, um, in processing this spiritually, I had to realize that we are spiritual beings that are living in a body. And, you know, I mean, things like the fact that every one of us starts out as a girl in the womb, you know, um, and, just getting past the physicalness of that, who I am as a spiritual being and who I love is who I love. And, and, you know, for me, I don't really pronounce myself as gay. Um, I just am in love with Ashley with all of my heart and soul. And, you know, I mean, and that's it, you know, sometimes we get too caught up on, on drawing the lines and I'm definitely a color outside the lines kind of girl. I have been my whole life and I wish, um, we could get the church to recognize, you know, there is some good there, but to recognize the fact that um, people need to be free and they need to learn how to love and they need to learn how to give, not into the machine, but to each other. Best of luck with that. The church really doesn't doesn't like that message. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't survive off that, unfortunately. No, it's a machine that feeds itself. Yeah, with you know, it eats its sheep. <laughs> so I want to. I want to. Speaking of the church and and Christianity, you know, you talked a, a lot about um, your experiences with God when you were in the mission field and kind of how that solidified your faith to a large extent. I want to just mention this because I meet people in my life. And, and when there are some individuals I meet, there is this spiritual, like, kindedness. Um, like, to where there, there are certain people that can kind of just look at someone and be able to read them and, like, be able to speak, like, truth into their life. That is how I have always experienced you, PK. And so... I want you to hear that because I think and, and truly do believe that you are embodying uh, the love of Christ every day, even though you're gay, you know, like, which is ironic for the church. But I, you know, I just want to mention that because um, that's one of the reasons I love having you around on like my Facebook and in, in my life to a large extent is because there's something you, you have something and it's, I don't know how to describe that. You know, like when you have it, like when you have God, like the it factor, you have it. I don't know how, you, I don't know how you say that, um, but I think it should be mentioned. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I was in a service that a Sunday morning service one, one time that lasted five hours. 
because uh, when I got to that place, and I, I do believe that there are people, and, and for me it was because of my trauma. My trauma helped me to connect to God because God was all I had. Um, and, and, and that happened as a child. So I'm very, very sensitive to spiritual things. And I got into a place that I can't describe or explain other than the fact that I could see every single person's heart in the spirit when I was praying for them. I could see it. I could see the physical condition of their hearts. And as I was speaking, I was watching God do something in their hearts. And, and, uh, you know, it, it was kind of like spiritual surgery. It was really fascinating. And I've never had an experience like that since because that was so intense. But it lasted five hours because when the adults were done, they went and got their kids. Um, and it was just an amazing time. So I've, I've experienced some fascinating, life-changing moments. And I'm, I'm very, very, I'm just so damn privileged to have met people like you along the way. But what we need now is community outside of the church. We need a way outside of the church that says we are together. There is a place for you to go where somebody's going to love you exactly the way you are, is not going to demand that you do this, this, and that. No workspace righteousness bullshit. None of that stuff that says I do to get. If I do this, I get this from you, God. But love, total unconditional love, but love that works together. We are so fragmented right now. We've got a lot of broken pieces of glass outside of the church and somebody needs to start welding. We need to start welding those pieces together so that we can say we are united. We are together. And that's when you're going to see the world get shaken again is when we start doing that outside of a religious context. My okay, opinion. so outside of the outside of the religious context, you said that that that's what I was going to ask. Do you think that's even possible with a group of Christians? I'm I'm asking that because right now I work for a music studio, and what you just described is what my boss is creating, and in her in her music studio, and we are the most ragtag, mentally ill group of creatives you've probably ever met, but we. <laughs> really get along well with each other and and despite the fact that we've been shut down for several months with the pandemic and things have just changed drastically like we are actually even those of us who just teach and don't do the retail side of the store are doing everything we can to keep that place open not just to keep like teaching music because some of us really enjoy it but for the sake of ourselves (laughs) um to keep our little community meaning just those of us at the store and our community at large the community where the store is located um like alive in in a sense but we have nothing to do with christianity like well some of the people there are christians and go to church and do the thing but that's not our main goal like that's not our focus our focus is like our boss's whole thing is let's love people and make make space for people yeah Yes, that's good. I love that. I, I love I, that, Elizabeth. Yeah, I love my studio. <laughs> I love my boss. She's awesome. I mean, I think people are yearning for that. Hey, Omar, good to have you back, man. I, I just want to. I just want to say, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And and go ahead and plug, you know, the Fade to Gray network or the whole Marco Polo community that we have as well, because that is that is the dream and kind of heart behind what we do. It can be messy. Um, but if anybody's listening right now and just, we, we always kind of like 
patreon.com we have a free marco polo group the app is free unless you pay the five dollars a month to be able to like skip and stuff like that but please uh look us up we have we even throw the link in the comments um would love to have you like because yeah a community like that um is i think what we all need and what we're all desiring and when you sometimes go through deconstruction you lose that's that's the some of the most traumatizing parts because you're you've dealt with trauma already but the breakup is the sometimes the most traumatizing part of the whole thing because you're losing you're losing community like real friends people you've called family people that like watched your kids your kids grew up with you know they're not understanding they as well you know you had your kids you know and yeah and so people were saying that it's it, it's it's it, everyone's afraid of that going into that it happens and so like we're just offering like like that's what fit to gray does work we like to have uh taboo co- conversations or uh or nuanced conversations about taboo topics and um we kind of right now i know political season um things are hot but like i mean we have people that are voting every di- different direction um we're willing to go there we just ask that uh the golden rule treat others the way you want to be treated if you want to break that down even more just treat people with respect and i think if we can learn that inside of like a community where we can feel love and safe then make make it like easier to do that as we interact in real in real life through the mask so <laughs> God, you're just fabulous, Omar. You're fabulous. Hey, you know, um, Seth and I were talking before you guys came on, and I think it bears mentioning what we were talking about. Um, when they undermined the election in 2016 and they started all this propaganda, the point was to get us off oh, yeah. of anything that we could put our feet on. Mm-hmm. It was to destabilize the, what we see as real, solid ground. So there's a lot of people that have no ground to stand on right now. And that's what's gotten this thing to be so intense with people because um, before there was a foundation under us, we could trust certain things. And now there's just no trust whatsoever. And when you undermine that in a human being, they are in a trauma position where everything is black and white. It's black and white. There is no gray. You're either with us or, or against us, you know? And so it's got, you know, human beings oppositionally butting heads really, really strongly right now. And if we can recognize that and just, and just try to love one another a little better and, you know, acknowledge that we're all going through something very difficult. 2020 has been the year from hell, man. And um, just embrace each other. I, I think we're we're going to get through it, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I and I love the heart. I love your story. Um, I just feel like you know it's kind of like that kindred people. Seth told us beforehand. You're like you're going to love PK. It's going to be, and I do, and I I really do. I thank you for your for your openness. I feel like there are a lot of topics we could probably get into and and talk for an hour about, and. Um, Easy. And and, uh, and there's something that I really wanted to get into that, you, that you're writing a book about that we didn't really want to let the cat out of the bag. So we'll have to reschedule um, once you're once you finish your book to come <laughs> to on. To let and the talk cat out of that. the bag later. Yes, because I because I definitely I definitely want to know where the 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 G spot is. We'll call it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Deal. <laughs> Technically, right? It, it's, it's a G spot. It's. 
You've never you never found the G spot before. Seth hasn't. <laughs> but why are we having this conversation right now? We've been talking about God, what, what, how. Oh, so you're gonna write a book. It, I am I am writing a book that talks about where the Garden of Eden is. So he called it the G spot. See, Garden yeah. G, get it, got it, okay. got it, got it. <laughs> okay, I'm a little slow this morning. I need some more coffee. It's early in the morning. Right. Come on. Well, love you guys. Appreciate you, PK. Thanks for being here early in the morning. Where, where, you mentioned you're in Austin still? You mentioned that... No, Florida. no. I'm in Clearwater, Florida. Oh, okay. So you're on the East Coast, yep. on the best coast with us. Yes, yes. Cool. <laughs> Well, enjoy the rest of your weekend. I look forward to talking to you Yes. Listeners, More. thank you for joining in. Thank you for tuning in. Um, anything else, PK, before you go that you want to be able to like plug people, point people in if they want to like know more about you and what, you, what you're doing right now? Come to langleytown.com. There's a ton of reconstruction books on there that you can click on from a lot of different beloved people uh, that could help you in your journey. And there's also the Frustrated Grace cartoons uh, in yes. their totality. And we'll talk about those another time. Yes. yes. I want to. We definitely want <laughs> you back. We'll have our, so, we'll have our daughter uh, on when we do that one too, uh, PK. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Go ahead, Omar. You can do it. Wrap us up, Seth. Roll that beautiful beam footage. I just want to thank you so much for coming on today, PK. Um, again, I, I hope that this is one of many. Um, I, I really feel like we were talking about that, that it factor, right? Uh, you have it. And so whenever I talk with you, I feel as if you speak to my soul. And, and so I just want to thank you for coming on and having this conversation with us. Um, listeners, please feel free to go check out, it's, you said, langleytown.com. Um, she'll also be putting out a book. Hopefully, I don't know when that'll happen, but I know you're working on one. And then also, you can check out PK um, on another podcast called Too Many Podcasters, uh, which I often make an appearance on occasionally. Shout out to um, Carl. You can find out more information about her often there. Often occasionally. Carl Forehand. Uh, whatever. Anyhow, thank you all for joining us and hope you all have a great day. We're off live. (laughs) (laughs) I had this image of a a guy swimming to shore just as fast as he could. (laughs) (laughs) Get me there. Get me there. Oh, man. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. 
And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 